Lord, we are so grateful just to be in your house this morning and to come together as one to worship you. We pray that you would set aside our distractions, that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and just focus on you and what you're doing today. And God, we just declare that you are faithful in this place, God. We thank you for what you're doing and would we leave, uh, would we leave today just changed. In Jesus' name, amen.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee, we glorify Thee. We give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty. O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord, Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. 
Pray together the Colette. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue the nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I... The Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you. Though you have not known me, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do these things. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is 96. And we'll say it responsively by the asterisk. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. 
Honor and majesty are before him. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. This morning's second reading comes from First Thessalonians chapter one, beginning in verse one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord. St. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent him to their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and transcription inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to him, Render therefore to Caesar 
the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. It's good to be back. I know that we took a little hiatus from worshiping together in our building, um, but God was so faithful to us through that entire time. We had exposures to the dreaded COVID-19 virus. And I don't say that lightly. It really is a terrible thing, and people have suffered tremendously because of it. But God was so faithful. And in our prayers, we saw each and every one who was affected by that in our community are recovering and doing well. So thank God for that. I think sometimes we just are so focused on what happened that we forget to like look back and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, God just answered all of our prayers regarding our people, right? There was a couple weeks there where we prayed daily that people would be recovered from COVID, that they would be healed, and God came through. It's important that we remember God coming through in our life and in our community. So don't just go right by that like it's no big deal. It was important that we prayed, and it was important that God heard, and it was important that he answered our prayer. We're going to talk today about godly finances. It's a new series that uh, Father Powell introduced to us last week, and his introduction was very uh, foundational. And by that I mean I'm going to do another introduction to build on what he said. Because I don't think he said the word finances until about two-thirds of the way through the sermon. So I felt like we could go back and just lay a couple more foundational points as we start to talk about this. Because did you know that money is important? We kind of pretend sometimes that money is that thing that we do when we're not at church. And church is that thing that we do when we're at church. And they're kind of separate. But Jesus... You know, the guy who's also God, the hero of our faith, the savior of all mankind. There was a couple things he talked about more than anything else while he was on this planet. Number one, he talked about the kingdom of God. Now, you should all know that because that is Bishop Kessler's favorite topic, right? He loves to talk about the kingdom of God. And that's Jesus really was here not just to die for our sins, but to establish his kingdom on earth. And so first and foremost, everything we talk about here is about establishing a new kingdom, a new culture, a new way of living. That's what Jesus came to inaugurate on earth. But secondly, the second most talked about topic in everything Jesus taught when he was on earth, for, he taught for three years, changed the whole world. What was the second most? It was money. He talked about money all the time. Because of something that you'll see as we talk through this. Money is one of the most important things that you will ever have to decide what to do with. So let's talk through, and I'm going to make, I call this opening clarification. So there's just going to be a few principles that I want us to get really deep in our heart before we start talking about how to use your money. So today, we're not even going to talk about what to do with your money. We're going to talk before that. We're going to talk about what money is, why it matters, and how you need to view your money before we talk about what you do with your money. First of all, I have to tell you, this teaching series, The Godly Finances, it's been planned out for months. We did not start this series because the church needs your money. I want you to know that. There's a common habit in churches where when the church needs money, all of a sudden, every sermon seems to be about money and giving somehow. That's not why we're here. 
And I'll tell you, there's a couple things that we can clarify about the nature of money right in that statement. In Psalm 50, beginning in verse 12, this is from God talking to the Israelites in the psalmist's words here. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and all its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So what is God telling them? There's a little bit of a longer paragraph. I cut it shorter. I'll give you the context. The Israelites were sacrificing. They were making the proper sacrifices, but they were turning away from God in their hearts. And God's trying to bring them back to the focus. The point isn't that God needs your money to grow his church. If God wanted to give us money to grow the church, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, the world in all of its fullness is his. He could have Bishop Kessler go down to the gas station and win the lottery for millions of dollars, and we would never need to pay a bill in this church again, if God wanted to. But that's not the point. God wants to use you to grow his purposes in the world, not because he needs you. That's what he's saying here. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need you to give me your money or your sacrifices or your bulls, your goats. I don't need that. What I do want, though, is I want your heart to turn towards me. We see it in these verses, right? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's about your heart posture towards God. They thought they had it figured out, and they just paid their vows, and that they could do whatever they wanted to do. They paid their tithe, their offering, their sacrifice, and then they could go do whatever they wanted to do. But God's like, no, I want this to be about your heart, and I want it to be about how you're so grateful for the ways that I provided for you, that your sacrifice is full of thanksgiving to me. And perform your vows to the Most High. He wants you to remain faithful to Him. These Israelites have a habit throughout the entire Old Testament of going and serving other gods. And you know what? So do we. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. You might think, I've never bowed down to a clay statue of an eagle, you know, with the head of a man or anything. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about serving other gods. And we'll get into that. And then the last part's really beautiful because I've never connected this verse to the previous verses in this way. But he says, it's all part of that. It's like, instead of giving me just meaningless sacrifices, turn your heart towards me in thanksgiving, be faithful to me, to serve me and to seek me, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. What's he saying? He's saying that when trouble came upon them, they turned to other things except for God. Did you know that God wants you to come to him when you're in trouble? He doesn't want you to go to your bank account when you're in trouble. He doesn't want you to go to your, uh, I could list a thousand things, but he doesn't want you to go anywhere except to him. He doesn't want them going to their own strength like, oh man, it's really tough. I just got to work harder. I got to get another job. I got to do this, that, or the other thing. God may call you to do some work on earth. He loves to call us to do work on earth. Absolutely. That's part of how he shapes us. But it has to be when we rely on him. That's what he's going for. He wants us to run to him in the day of trouble. And then he will deliver us. And then we'll glorify him. That worship this morning was glorious. That's part of glorifying God, is singing out the praises that we sing every Sunday morning. 
And just to clarify, in case you didn't believe that this teaching isn't about getting money and it's actually about you, I wanted to pull out this principle that we see that Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. That he's being challenged all the time about what he does on the Sabbath. And he makes this point. The Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You can put any of the principles that God has taught us in the whole Bible in that place. The tithe was made for man, not man for the tithe. Holiness, purity was made for man, not man for holiness and purity. Everything that God asked us to do was made for us and our benefit, for his glory and our good. These principles about finances are for your benefit. So if you start to feel conviction as we talk about what to do with your money or how to view your money, remember, this is about inviting you into the goodness of God, not making you feel guilty that you're not good enough. That's never God's word. God's word is always an invitation to deeper and higher and better things. And let's follow that up, right? God wants you to prosper. The heart of God is for you to prosper. That's very important when we talk about finances. Because there is a strain in Christianity, a strain of thinking that thinks that it's more holy to be poor than to be rich. And that's just not what the Bible tells us. In fact, if you look at the heroes of our faith, they were provided for. I mean, Abraham was the richest man around. Isaac, Joseph ended up ruling Egypt, had the resources of the most powerful nation in the world at his command. Did that make them less holy that they had riches? No, not at all. You can be the holiest person in the world and have the most money in the world. There's no contradiction. And you can be the wickedest person in the world and have zero dollars in your bank account. That's, it just, it can be either way. It's about your heart. Money can be the thing that has the hold on your heart, whether you're poor or whether you're rich. The point that Jesus makes and that the Bible makes throughout his teaching is that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. We'll talk more about that, but let's get into how God wants us to prosper because I like that word. That's a great word. In John, third John, uh, there's only one chapter, so verse two, uh, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now let's leave that up there for a second. Let's think about this. Often we think that church is here to teach us so that our soul or our spirit can prosper. And that the world is there so that we can figure out like the flesh, the bad things like earning a paycheck. That's all like not godly stuff. This verse would say otherwise. God intimately wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. He wants us to prosper in all things, be in good health, even as our soul prospers, as we learn how to love him with our heart, soul, and mind, right? God is not dissected, bifurcated. He wants every bit of us to be a part of his plan. It's so much easier to punch into work, punch out, get my paycheck, balance my budget, than it is to rely on God day in and day out. It's so much easier to separate him from my decisions about money because if I don't have to ask him, then I get to be in charge. That was the... There was a moment with Rowan, my favorite sermon illustrator, uh, two days ago, where he was having a fit. And he wanted to do something, and he was playing with a baseball bat, this plastic one that he loves, and Mom was taking it away because he had just hit Ruby. So she's taking it. She's in this tug-of-war. And I'm like, Rowan, you don't get to decide. Once Mom says it goes away, it goes away. And I go, Rowan, you're not in charge. And he goes, I am in charge. (laughs) 
Where did he get this idea? But we had a long conversation with some discipline associated with that. But the point is, we do that to God all the time. But instead of having that confrontation with God where we tell him we're in charge, we just ignore him. Just don't even ask what you want me to do with my finances. Don't even ask what you want me to do with my time, where you want me to work. God wants to be involved in those things. And yes, of course, God may love for you to choose whatever flavor of ice cream you want. I don't think you need to be standing in the grocery store asking God whether you should get vanilla or Oreo. But we all know what we're saying here. It's not about God taking away your preferences, your free will. He loves when you buy the car that you like. He loves when you decide to do take the job that fulfills you. He wants to be involved like a loving father, guiding you. And you know what? Sometimes that car is a trap that he could have saved you from if you had just asked. Sometimes that job is not going to lead where you think it's going to lead, and he was trying to open a door over here. My point is, involve God in these conversations first and foremost, because he wants us to prosper. We have every reason to involve him. I'm going to skip through the next two verses because I think you get the point. But it's all throughout Scripture that God wants you to prosper, not just in loving him, not just in loving your neighbor, but also in the way that you live your life. He wants you to have an abundant life. And, of course, as I've been saying, it's all about your heart. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So when we talk about this and we talk about money, we need to have that as our basis. That how we treat our money actually has something to do with our heart. And that that's really what God's after. In fact, I heard a preacher say this and I totally agree with it. Basically, he said, God sometimes will not bless you because if he did, if he gave you that extra money, you would stop relying on him. That God uses money sometimes in our life where you're just barely getting by, making minimum wage, and you just need more money. And God's like, I can't give you more than that because if I did, you'd stop looking to me as your provider. But you know what? There's a way of living where you could be making millions and millions of dollars, have no financial need, and still be relying on God. That's the heart posture that we have to cultivate. And I will tell you, for the people in this room even, that I know who have mentored me, who have brought me up, I will tell you that there are people who have far more money than I do, who don't have the same money problems as I do, but their heart towards God is so admirable. It's something that I wish that I had. Because their money didn't change how they relied on God. From rich to poor and everything in between, they know that he is their provider. And I just want you to take this away, right? Your job doesn't provide your money. God provides your money. So when you're doing your job, do it as unto the Lord and allow him to bless you. There's a message in America that says if you work your butt off, if you stress out, and if you just put your nose to the grindstone, you can have anything you want. And I'm telling you, that is a lie. If you rely on God, allow him to shape you and work in everything as unto the Lord, then he will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Not because he's a God who is, it's not a prosperity gospel, 
right? Because the blessing doesn't have to be finances. Trust me. There are people who have walked this earth from day one to day whatever they, whenever they died, who were completely destitute, and yet they were blessed beyond imagination. So I say all that. These are all clarifications as we talk about this, because there's all these different ways that you can talk about money that can make people feel guilty because they're not giving enough, or they can make people feel like they must not be serving God because they aren't getting these blessings that everybody else is getting. I'm trying to whittle that down and tell you that the point isn't how much money you have or how much money you get. It's relying on God and trusting him to provide for you. And that includes working your butt off. That includes working as unto the Lord. I don't know how you can tell somebody to work harder than to tell them, work as if you're working for Jesus. I, I would work hard. If Jesus was coming to my house, my wife has never seen me clean the house the way that I would clean the house if Jesus was coming. She would love to see that. I probably should work on that. But the point is, work as unto the Lord and trust him for your provision. Okay, a couple more. And like I said, this is just introduction. So we're not even going to get to what you're going to do with your money yet, but that's going to be fun. There is a vision and a mission for St. Michael's that God has in his heart. And the people in this room, you sitting here in the pews, are an integral part of it. He can't do it without you. He actually made you to fulfill a purpose. And part of that purpose is what you're doing by attending church today at St. Michael's. But in order to accomplish what God has for us, money is crucial. I heard this great line that said, you will destroy with your character what you built with your gifting. And money is all about your character, your heart how you live. God's doing a special work in St. Michael's right now. That's why we're doing these sermon series, because God has laid it on the leadership's heart that God wants to do something special here. Bishop called it the SWAT team training, right? It's like next level Christian stuff. I, I like the compliment, but the idea is we are not just here to cash in on the promise of eternity. We're here to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And in order to do that, you know what? God wants us to learn how to manage our finances. Because if you have a church that knows how to manage their finances in a godly way, not just smart business-wise, I mean like giving and generous and faithful and in a godly way, God can do so much with you. Because there's a world that needs each and every one of us. They need our contribution. They need St. Michael's to be the church that it's going to be. And there are going to be people filling up these pews because of the sacrifices that you made. Each one of you have a job to play in that. We will either be hampered by how we treat our money or empowered by how we treat our money. And last thing I'll say, money is important. It's important that we're talking about actual money, but... Money represents also resources. So there may be some people in here, like Marin, Madeline, Megan, some people here who don't have a lot of money to manage. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to manage your time. He wants you to manage your energy. And that's true for all of us. It's not just about money. You can apply all these principles we're talking about to any of these things, how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, God wants to be involved. He wants to help train you to do that well. All right, I'm going to summarize what we just said, and then I've got one more point to make here, and we'll close it up. Number one, godly finances is about you and your heart, not about getting money to the church or to the poor. 
If all God needed was a pathway for money to get to those people, he could do it any way he wants. He chooses to do it through you because it's about changing your heart and empowering you to be Christ to the world. Number two, God wants you to prosper. That's just a good one. We'll just like keep that in mind. All week, when you encounter difficulty, remember, God of the universe, who is over everything, Jesus, who is enthroned over all the world, wants you to prosper. Hold on to that promise. Three, God has a mission for this church, and it requires each and every one of us to be faithful stewards of the resources he's given us. Number four, these principles about money can be applied to any resource in your life. Time, energy, talent, etc. Okay, we've got pages and pages of things that we're going to talk about. But I'm going to just talk a little bit longer here because there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to conclude with this. Actually, I think I put it in here. During the gospel, we got to hear Jesus talk about money. And it's awesome. I love when Jesus, let's just start with this. I really, I don't know if you noticed, but I enjoyed reading the gospel this morning because Jesus is the best when he gets really um, sassy. I don't know. He gets like sarcastic. He gets, he's very serious, right? It's like, if you ask Jesus a question and he says, you wicked hypocrites, like that's scary. I don't know. These guys like, uh, it's amazing that they survived. Okay, so Jesus perceives their wickedness and says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? When you hear Jesus say something like that, know that the next line is going to be important. It's like he says truly, truly all the time. Another indicator is when he calls people hypocrites or snakes or their father's the devil, like that's when you know Jesus is getting down to the point. So they brought him, so, oh, sorry, they ask him this question, right? They say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And basically they think they've got him cornered. Because if he says yes, then all the Israelites who've been oppressed, I mean, they've been robbed blind by this oppressive government. Way worse than we can imagine in the United States. You think you got it bad here? Yeah, don't. Not compared to what they had back then with the Roman oppression. They've been oppressed. And so all these people who've been following Jesus, these Israelites, are going to be like, we don't want to follow this guy. He says we should pay money to this oppressive government. Why should we do that? They're robbing us blind. And then on the other hand, if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then boom, bada bing, bada boom, you turn him over to Caesar's guards. He gets crucified. Problem solved. They're stoked. They think they've got him cornered. But you know what? Jesus was never once cornered in his entire ministry. You just see that when you read through this. Brilliant answer. So he says to them, right, whose image and inscription, sorry, I keep going too far. He tells them, go get a coin, right? And you guys know what a coin looks like. They're fairly similar nowadays to what they were back then, actually. It's pretty impressive. But they had the image stamped on it of the current Caesar, who was Tiberius at this time. I looked up those coins. They look just like the ones like George Washington on it. I mean, it's like, it's just an image of the guy's face. It's embossed. And it said things like the, the son of God. And uh, it said all these crazy things that were applied to Jesus as well. It's a whole other sermon. But the point is it had Tiberius Caesar's face on it. And he goes, whose image and inscription is on this coin? And they go, Caesar's. And he says, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to render to God the things that are God's. So... Is Jesus saying, pay your taxes and go to church, and then you've done your duty to both people? No, he's saying something way more profound than that. He's saying, first of all, look, God doesn't care what you do with that coin. 
Not as much as he cares about rendering to him what is his. You can give that coin to Caesar. It's got his image on it, whatever. God doesn't need it. But as long as you're rendering to God what is God's. And what does it say about humanity all throughout the Bible? It says that we are the image of God. So imagine that coin. He's got Tiberius Caesar stamped on it. You know, we've got God stamped on us. So what's the point? The point is, render to God what's God, meaning your very lives. Render to God what is God's. That's everything. What you do with that coin matters because it represents how you view God. We need to remember whose we are. We have been bought with a price. Jesus paid everything that you could be more like him, that you could be risen and victorious with him. That's what we do in baptism, right? You die with Jesus, you enter into his crucifixion, you're raised to new life. So the question isn't, what do I do with my money? The question is, how do I live my life so that I reflect who Jesus is? And that's the basis of what we do with our money. And you know what? That requires everything. You don't get to hold anything back. There's this awful song in a musical that I like. Good musical, awful song. But it has this line where it's a man and his wife. And it just stuck out to me as what we do with God sometimes. But he basically is complaining about his wife. And he just cheated on her. And he's complaining about how she pushed him into the arms of this other woman. And he he, he describes it like this. I just wanted one little corner of my mind that could be free from her. I just wanted my one little bastion of defense. And she would come in and break down those walls, and she wanted everything of me. Don't you know that marriage is a symbol of Christ in the church? And that when you get married, you don't hold something back from your wife. You're one flesh. That means you share this union that we can't hardly comprehend. And that's what God wants with us. You don't get to hold back one bastion of defense. Well, I get to decide what I do with this money, or I get to decide what I do with this time or this thought process. Once you've surrendered it all to him, he wants to free you from all of that so that you can live the joy-filled, abundant life that he's set before you. But it requires surrender. If you're wondering what God's doing from the beginning of creation till now, he has given men and women free will to choose what they want to do. And he is working every day that they might surrender that will to him so that he can empower them to be truly free. And all of that has to do with what you do with your money. And we'll talk about that next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, dig into your teaching. I just pray that you would shape our hearts over the course of this series, Lord. That you would give us insights, that you would give us grace and freedom and there are things i know in each of us that hold us back from surrendering it all to you i pray that you would just wipe those away over the course of these weeks as we pursue what you want for our life as we pursue christ-likeness as we imitate jesus lord and jesus i just pray that even as people walk out of this room that they would have a renewed commitment to follow you and that they would know the freedom, the joy, the peace of Christ in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. And we'll continue with the Nicene Creed.
I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. And we all one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. we may obtain effectually to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Amen. With your spirit. Hey, I want you to keep Bishop Kessler in your prayers. He's he's throwing his back out. Something like that, right? So he's he's uh he's uncomfortable. <laughs> he needs God to heal his back and take away that pain. It can be very excruciating, so keep keep Bishop Kessler daily in your prayers mm-hmm. so that he might be healed. And get back here with all of us. So, Amen. I want to put that. And I want to say hi to a whole lot of visitors out there. I see David and Jody. I see Mark and Stacy. A lot of folks here for the wedding yesterday. Katie and Micah is great. 
It was, was great. there. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So we're very happy for those two, and uh, that's why Katie's not here today. I asked her many times if she would come this Sunday <laughs> and lead the worship, and she said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not. It was surprised. right and good for her to do. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right, sir. All right, let's pray for the offering. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. me to be 
Welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you have not been here long. You have tried to follow and you have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks. <laughs> Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks for Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. 
We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Olivia, Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonia, Sandra, Maria, Karen, Father David and Darcy, Tammy, Thomas, Michael, Sherry, Kyla, Dan, the Oki family, the Alcarez family, Bishop Davidson, the Madison family, the Claire family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people that you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. <laughs> Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his table.
Jesus. Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling himself to the world. God is not mad at you. God will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I'm going to start that over. (laughs) Jump the rails. Lost my place. Let's start over. I want this blessing to be perfect. As you leave this place, always remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God is not mad at you, and God will never leave you or forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.